there comes a point where I think if you learn enough about the process and just how utterly broken it is, you can't help but think whether it's naivete, whether it's hubris, whether it's just like stupidity, stupidity, masochism. I don't know. Where you're like, I, I have to solve this. Like, I can't let it be. Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We are coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report each day on what's happening around us in tech, science, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest and most interesting stories in the news. Coming up this week, how the landscape for U.S. immigration is changing in the tech industry and beyond. Our guest this week is Xiao Wang, CEO and co-founder of Boundless, a Seattle technology company that streamlines the immigration process. Xiao, it's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, Todd. Yeah, it's been a while since we've talked. I think the last time we checked in with you on this show or on one of our GeekWire webinars was right toward the beginning of the pandemic. And obviously a lot has changed since then, including the fact that we have a U.S presidential administration that's very different, let's say, in terms of its approach to immigration. Can you give us a sense for how things have changed for you as a company focused on immigration in the transition from the Trump to the Biden administrations? Yeah, I would say that I wish someone would have reminded me that that starting an immigration company in 2017 may not have been the best idea. Um, <laughs> And, you know, when your OKRs change at a regular basis due to a Friday night tweet, uh, it, it creates a, a really great environment to build resilience and the ability to adapt and, and evolve as, a, as, a, as an organization. But, you know, as, as you can imagine, like the, uh, the, the current administration and the democratic agenda uh, and attitude towards immigration is meaningfully different than it was a couple of years ago. In the last 10 months, the primary outcomes of, the, of this administration have been around rolling back some of the punitive changes that came out of the last administration, rather than proactively doing anything different um, until this recent uh, set of, of legislative proposals uh, around this budgeting process. So uh, if as an example, you know, one of the things that was incredibly onerous to families was this public charge rule that passed in 2020, where instead of just being able to show on the immigration applications, where you've always had to, that you're, you can support yourself without, without needing government assistance, the government now put a different lens where the adjudicator has to determine whether you could, in the future, rely on government services. So instead of like a black and white, like, do you meet this criteria from a, 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 a assets and, and an income standpoint, it became like, how do you prove that you won't need this in the future? So it looked at your credit score, look at your medical history, look at your education history. And it turned uh, for our, our customers, an average application size, uh, it doubled it to over 400 pages. And, you know, this applied to everyone across the country. And it was just like ground the entire system to a halt, as you can probably imagine, because no one was trained on like actuarial tables or any sort of predictive algorithm around like your future earning potential in the government. Um, and then you couple that on top of COVID and the slowness of the federal government to adopt technology in different ways. And it's created a massive backlog that hurts us too today. 
So, uh, so, so to this point, like the Biden administration been like, let's let's take away some of these things that increase the the load on both families as well as our own staff, uh, and and trying to figure out ways of getting out of this backlog, which they have uh, done, uh, which have, they've been unsuccessful at. And so, you know, while people have been happy that there's been no new changes uh, that that increases the difficulty of immigration, uh, the process, the applications, and so forth, um, I think universally people have been disappointed in the speed that the government has in, in responding to solving the, the current situation, uh, which is very well known at the time of the transition. So if you think like, you know, the, the most common thing that has affected a lot of people in the local area, especially among GeekWire listeners, is the expiration of work permits. In, in a lot of categories, you have to apply for a work permit that allows you to legally work in the U.S. And in the past, you would apply and it would get approved in about three months or so. And so attorneys have been operating under this. They, they do a little more conservative. They say you should reapply for renewal four months from your expiration or sometimes even five months. Well, right now, work permits are taking sometimes 13 months to process. Wow. People didn't know that 13 months ago. Xiao, is this is this just a like logistical technology problem or what's what is what is the backlog being created by a change in administrations change in processes lack of technology what is it that's causing this can, can i say yes to everything uh so- yeah. <laughs> let me ask it to you this way if you were to wave your magic wand to eliminate the problem and get rid of the backlog and to speed up the process that companies like a Google or Amazon or Microsoft can get these workers into their companies faster, what would it? What would you do? The number one thing that I would do would be uh, a external-facing API that accepts electronic signatures. Isn't that DocuSign? Doesn't that exist? This this is miraculous technology that may or may not have existed for let's it's, call it's it a couple twenty of years old, now. isn't it? <laughs> so uh, let me walk you through how this, how the current uh, immigration application system works for, for for those who are who haven't gone through it. Um, there are all of these paper government forms that you have to print, fill out, complete, and then have a wet ink signature too. You collect all of your documents. So in some cases, this is why applications can be hundreds of pages long. Um, and then you put in passport photos, uh, scans of all the, the forms that you need, and then you ship it to a lockbox, just this mailbox. In this, in this mailbox facility, then uh, someone, a, a government employee then takes out this giant packet of papers and feeds it through a document scanner. God forbid they lose a page or two pages get stuck together and just disappear. And then all of a sudden your application is now rejected because you have insuff- you know, you're missing a page or have insufficient information. And so then that scan file then goes to the local center that is processing your specific application. And then at that center, depending on the individual or person, they would often then print it back out because for the adjudicator, uh, it's, it's much faster for them to have a, a stack of paper that they can flip through back and forth. Um, and so we have now gone a full round trip uh, in terms of like what happens to these applications. And, and the document scan is a relatively new technology. So in the past, there, there are still these massive forms that are buried inside these caves in the government. And so if they need to reference some old file because there's something because immigration takes long and this might be something you you submitted 10 10 plus years ago, they actually have to go and take, you know, 
a person to go into the caves, find the like right place for it, like dig it out of the caves and then like bring it back out. Um, and are you sure you're not pitching a Monty Python skit? <laughs> and and you wonder why it takes so long and that all of these problems happen. And, 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 you know, what's amazing to me is like, you know, I think back to when I, I was growing up every like March, I would go with my father to the local public library. We would check out these massive tax books, right? And then we photocopy the forms out of them and then fill them out and submit them as taxes. And, and this is like well over 20 years ago, right? And, and, then, and then, you know, TurboTax came along and it's like, wait, you can actually do taxes through a computer, right? And you can actually submit taxes like online. And I don't think that like for the majority of people, like it would ever cross your mind again to like go to like, to check out this massive tax book, photograph forms, fill it out by hand and send it in. And, and if we've been doing this for decades, it's amazing to me that like we still can't do it um, for, for immigration. So at Boundless, are you trying to become the TurboTax for immigration, essentially? I think we can uh, go well beyond that you know, around like how we can help you live your best life as an immigrant. But for the initial immigration application, the idea is that we want it to be a no-brainer to like use us, right? That it is as seamless as possible. And right now, even though we've automated as much as we can and we've digitized as much as we can, at the end of the day, we are operating, I will call the world's worst Kinkos, where we are still like printing out. Is Kinkos still in business? And they're FedEx now, right? FedEx, <laughs> yes, FedEx but, Kinkos, but yeah. Hey, since we're talking about 20 years ago, we might as well use Kinkos, right? Right. And, and and the fact that we have to do that and then like label exactly where you sign. And then obviously sometimes these labels like slip off. And so you like, and then we, we and ship these packages now two times, right? So we have to ship it from us to the customer. They have to like sign everywhere where it's appropriate. And then they have to ship it to the government. It's inexcusable that at this point we're still operating this way. How much faster is it through your, if somebody, if a person's using boundless versus the traditional way. So when, when we talk to like customers who are trying to figure it out on their own, they usually, they take, you know, multiple months to try to understand exactly what, you know, how, how to, how to complete these forms and I do it. And then through our application, you can complete the online portion in a matter of hours. Now, like that, our, our customers, depending on which document, because we then identify what they need for the rest of their, their application package, they may have missing documents that takes them a, a while to receive. So like, for example, if you've like for me, right, if, if I need my birth certificate, which I wait for immigration applications, it's actually, I, 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 I don't have it. And to get it is, is I have to find this like, hospital that may or may not exist anymore in Nanjing, China, and like try to like figure that out. And so that, 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 that's still a complicated part. But as we've done more and more of these, and as we've done more than sort of anyone else, actually, of our, of our applications, we're better and better at helping families find these things, right? And like understanding what they need to do. I remember we, we were trying to hunt down uh, and help this person get a divorce certificate from Norway. And like our team actually ended up finding out exactly which division of the government, like how do you like request it? And like, what do you need to do to be able to, to be able to aim that? And so, um, you know, as we get, as we do this more, we're better at it. But still, uh, the, the, the idea is that you don't have to worry about what you need to get an app, an immigration application done right. We'll, we'll make sure to take care of it for you. So, Xiao, why in the world would you want to insert yourself into this process? It sounds like Kafka-esque. 
It's opportunity, man. I'm sure you hear this from, from other entrepreneurs. Like, like you know, this is supposed to be your world. But you know, there comes a point where I think if you learn enough about a process and just how utterly broken it is, that you can't help but think whether it's naivete, whether it's hubris, whether it's just like uh, stupidity. Uh, stupidity and masochism i don't know where you're like i i have to solve this like i can't let it be i can't let you know my family we spend almost five months of rent money on immigration attorneys when we came here to do our green card people are spending way more than that today like how is it still possible and i can't let it go on for another generation um and and what's been what's been fascinating here it now, uh, you know, four, four and a half years later, it's like, so you know, I, I jokingly say, call ourselves like the tallest Oompa Loompa in the factory, right? Like we are doing more of these than anyone else. We are the leader in this online family immigration space. But at the end of the day, like we are just scratching the surface of, of like what, what is out there and, and, and we're just starting. You know, it's actually changed now that there are a lot of eyes are trying to see like, can we make this work? And so there's, there's almost a, a commitment and a compulsion that like, if we can't make this work, given that like we've raised more capital, that we like are processing more, that we have like invested in better technology and built a better team than, than it's ever existed in this industry before, then like there is no industry. here. And so that's like, it's actually a pretty incredible sort of rallying like cry for, for ourselves. Like not only that every day are we meaningfully helping dozens of people's lives, uh, like get through this process, but also that we are showing the world that like it is possible to build not only a venture scale, but like a a true leader in the first brand in an industry that's never had one. The shift in presidential administrations is just one of the changes that we've seen in the past couple of years. There's also been a sea change in the labor market. And I want to get into that when we get back. You're listening to GeekWire. We're talking this week about all of the changes in U.S. immigration with Xiao Wang, CEO and co-founder of Boundless. And we will be right back. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We're talking about immigration this week with Xiao Wang, the CEO and co-founder of Boundless. It's a Seattle technology company that streamlines the immigration process. Xiao, I'm wondering, when you look at the labor market today, I'm thinking back to the epic H-1B visa debates on GeekWire back in the day. The labor shortages that we're seeing across the economy must have changed the conversation about immigration to some extent. Are you seeing that in your business? Unfortunately, because everything in our in our world is 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 politicized now, right? Like there's a distinct perspective where where immigration otherwise should be something that is very bipartisan. And if you think of like the one monopoly that America has, it is the monopoly of drawing people from all around the world who want to make a better life for themselves and their family and want to create things that they couldn't do in their home country or anywhere else. And, and as an immigrant, like I, I, it, I understand all the like 
constraints. I understand all of the challenges and institutional like struggles, everyone. But like, I I strongly internally like have internalized this this, this concept of the American American opportunity, American dream, and in every study shows that by the time the second generation comes along, immigrants are better educated, higher income, higher pa- higher paying taxes, more commitment to the community, lower crime rates, like across any metric, like than native born Americans. And so what what, what, what continues to, 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 to frustrate me or like, as we're trying to do this is the fact that like the, the government and, and various folks on this immigration debate is, is are truly taking a very short-term approach to something that should and will affect us for decades to come. And I'm very long in America. And, and, and so it's like, I want America to be successful. And, and when I see things like this is the third straight year of declining international student enrollment, like that's not going to hurt us three years from now. It's not really going to hurt us in the country five years from now, but 20 years from now. Right, that person that would have started Google, instead, didn't go to Stanford and went to a different country for, for school, and and so that's like that's where I get you know when when I see that this is like the, our best chance since 1986 to pass immigration reform and how it's like continues to get sort of stuck and mired in in, in, in some of these debates. So like um, it, it's frustrating because this is something that really both sides should support if you are in favor of future prosperity. Well, I imagine COVID has to be playing into those trends as well, too. So you've kind of got the double whammy there of challenges in terms of the immigrant students coming in as well. There was the legislation, the Build Back Better legislation and the infrastructure bill. Did that change anything for you? What did you see on that front? So I'm cautiously optimistic. And so in, on, on November 19th, the House passed this Build Back Better bill that included uh, about $100 billion for immigration reform. And again, this is like the first time that something meaningful has been put up and has a chance of passing in over 30 years. Uh, and and um, in there, like, so, so now it's, it's up to two, two groups of people. One is an individual, so it's up to the Senate parliamentarian if she agrees that these changes are able to be part of a budget process. And then second, the Senate has to uh, then pass this budget as well. And what's, you know, what's amazing to me is all of this is like, this is, you know, this should be something that the, from the beginning, the ability to grant green cards, ability to grant citizenship, and all of those um, powers are, are congressional power. So it's like, it should be legislative action, but because our country and because of the veto rule and because of the way that immigration has been politicized, you need 60 votes in the Senate to get anything through legislatively. And you're never going to get that on immigration. Uh, even if probably 80, 85 people in the Senate uh, are, are all aligned around the core, like around immigration. So because of that, then you have to push it through different ways. And so the, the current strategy is put it through as part of the budget process. In, in, this, uh, in this proposal, there are three different areas that will affect immigration in a big way, and especially for tech workers in, in hubs around the country. What is the way that it would affect tech workers? So the first is this idea of a green card recapture. And what it means is that every year Congress has mandated or like there's statutory requirement for uh, USCIS to issue a, a certain number of green cards or permanent residences. 
And because of processing issues and challenges and backlogs, we're about 2 million behind uh, of like what they're supposed to be able to do. And this goes back years, like more than 10 right. years, right? Yeah. The current proposal is going back to 1992. So we're like looking at like over like 30, close to 30 years of time. And so it's already been previously allocated and we're supposed to do it and supposed to grant these green cards, but they haven't because uh, of processing delays. Um, how much should we enable to push forward? And so if like in, in the, the current proposal, there's a pretty wide range depending on you know, how they want to interpret this. But if so, it, it, it's huge because the, the people who are waiting in line the, the, the longest are generally recent countries that are, are more biased towards uh, like the local tech economy. And so you think of the, the, the Indians, Chinese, you know, Vietnam, Philippines, like there's a lot of Asian countries that, that, are, that are heavily in this backlog. And, and while there's a separate proposal um, that will remove the country caps, uh, so right now you can only have 7% of immigrants in every year come from any single country. And, and that was like, built back in the day to try to keep America more homogenous. But still, like giving more people access to ability to do green cards will give a huge amount of freedom. And I would actually argue new amounts of innovation to the local economy. So if you are on a H-1B, for example, and you're in India and you're waiting 10 to 20 years for your green card, um, you're at the whims of your employer. And we've seen, you know, all heard these stories of like, you know, depending on like wage or like role or anything like that, you can't leave because you're, you're, you're at the mercy of what your employer uh, wants to do. And if they let you go, you have to find another job immediately or, or leave the country, which can be hugely disruptive if you've been here for you know, a decade or two decades of your life. Yeah, you can't go start a company, right? And you can't go start a company. Uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot, there, there's so many like organizations out there doing some crazy hoops to enable entrepreneurs who are stuck in these, these roles, but it's, it's, it's scary. And, and, um, and, and your like whole life and your future is at jeopardy. So the sooner and the quicker we can get these folks who are waiting to become permanent residents of the U S to become permanent residents of the U S we're going to see a huge flood of innovation and, and startups and people like taking bigger risks and leaving these giant tech companies. And so it's beneficial for the overall ecosystem. It's beneficial for innovation and it's, uh, you know, selfishly beneficial for, for smaller companies too. So Xiao, here's my idea. We take this backlog of folks and we hire them in the government agencies to go and do all the printing of these documents in order to try to expedite the process rather than, you know, solve the problem through DocuSign or some sort of automated, you know, process. Yeah, there be should be efficient. a loophole, right? So it's, it, that would be the twisted, ultimate uh, sneaky way is that if let's say your work permit expires, it means you can't legally work for any companies except for the U.S. government. Well, there you go. That would help solve <laughs> wow. this backlog. You know, two things I, that I wanted to mention that I'm not certain where it has gone, but you heard a lot of buzz in the entrepreneurial community. The National Venture Capital Association got behind the idea of a startup visa, that if you were an entrepreneur, you could come to the U.S. and start your company. I don't think that passed, but I'd love an update on that. And then secondly, to your point on the number of uh, foreign-born uh, kids coming here to get educated. There was also discussion about, you know, you know, stamp a, a green card onto a college diploma as soon as folks graduate. 
I'm curious where both of those things stand. I've lost track of them. So I assume they've gone nowhere. Unfortunately, yeah, it, ha- it hasn't. It hasn't actually uh, made, made any any dance. Um, you know, there, there's a couple of things. There's the startup visa. There's also something called the international entrepreneurial rule. The idea is, is like what we were just saying. Like every other country says, like, look, if if you can get funding, and you or and you have a business, or you can hire a certain number of people, like, please come, <laughs> right? Like, do do your thing. Um, except for America, uh, and and we 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 don't do that. So, um, you know, the the international entrepreneurial, which my co-founder Doug Rand actually like led and implemented before the Obama administration was over. Or like granted this as a as a as a as a policy. Um, however, uh, immediately the Trump administration said that they're going to end this policy. They never did. But just by saying that, hey, we're going to end this policy, means that like no one applied for it because you you have no idea. Like you have no idea. You start your company and then tomorrow you have to leave the country. Like it just doesn't work. And so I, I believe I think ten people applied total, and I believe there's one known case of someone who received it. And it's operating their company under this rule. Well, th- that's an interesting point because it does speak to kind of the chilling effect that you don't even have to implement policy in the case of what Trump was doing. You just have to put the menace of the, you know, the policy out there. Just kind of like that's enough for somebody maybe to decide if they're going to go to Canada or, you know, Greece or wherever. I mean, at the end of the day, like you know, it's it's easy for when you're not directly involved in it to think that, oh, this is just another bureaucratic piece. But for the people who are affected, like this is their life. And we gave an offer to someone who is on a, this is a, the the most friendly visa category there is, which is the TN visa, which allows um, NAFTA countries, so Canada and Mexico to be able to work. But if you change jobs on the TN visa, you have to leave the country, the U.S., go to your home country to then go to the like to the border and apply and get your new, new new visa. And typically, it's like, okay, this is fine, but not during COVID. Not during COVID. And so, like this person whose spouse is expecting, it's like I can't leave the country because I may not be able to make it back, and I may not be able to. Uh, I may miss my like kid's birth. And so you think about like like how much pain and how much loss in terms of productivity, in terms of innovation, in terms of opportunity is because like people are like doing mental mental trade-offs like that. Like, you know, do I risk missing my kid's birth and being stuck in the country for like multiple weeks, or do I like take a chance on a on, on a new job? This brings up another point that's changed over the past couple of years, and that is remote work. And I want to ask about that when we get back. You're listening to GeekWire, and we'll be right back. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. (laughs) 
Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We're talking about changes in U.S. immigration and, frankly, things that have not changed over the past few years with Xiao Wang. He is the CEO and co-founder of Boundless, a Seattle tech company that streamlines the immigration process. Xiao, I'm wondering about remote work. We're talking about bringing people in, especially on work visas. Have you seen companies more willing to just forego immigration altogether or people uh, in other countries working more for U.S. corporations because of the rise of remote work? And is that changing your business or reducing demand at all for your services? Uh, so from a macro standpoint, um, it hasn't reduced like demand for our services and in, in, in sort of our future. Because at the core, it's like we, we believe that in the long run, people like this, this, this freeing of where you live from where you work is going to actually help more people. Uh, it will increase global migration. And if you think, and if you expand, like the, it's a reason why we're, we're called boundless and not called, you know, us immigrations are us, right? Like the, the idea is that you know, we can, uh, we'll be able to help you achieve and live the life that you want with your loved ones, um, anywhere you want. to. You can help me get out of this place. We've had a, a lot of customers, especially American Canadian relationships, who have who who have flip flopped, you know, multiple times on this. Around like, where do we do we go to Canada? Do we come to the U.S.? Do we go to Canada? Do we come to the U.S. And and you know, and I'm sure this is going to only increase over time. Um, but there are there's a reason why, like, you know, Deal, for example, the startup that that, that helps people hire worldwide, you know, and, and just raised. Uh, their their Series D, uh, you know, like a, a month or so ago. Um, you know, remote.com is also going, like, growing really quickly. Um, I, I do think that we're, we're starting to think about talent as talent uh, and, and be able to look in more places, which I think is overall going to be good for, 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 for the world. Is that trend playing out, though, that you're seeing some of the companies hire more globally? Like, are you, are you seeing, and I think that was Todd's orig, original question, like, are, are companies saying, hey, we're going to skip the immigration hassles. This is, this is crazy. It takes up way too much of our time and energy. We're just going to start hiring more in whatever country it is. So far from a, when you, when we looked at the latest, like, uh, statistics reported by the government, it, it's actually bounced back on the employment categories, especially to uh, pre-COVID levels. So companies are still putting the money to trying to, 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 to do this. Uh, but I think that at the same time, what has changed is that you're able to get the productivity sooner because you're able to you know, work before you receive your green, your, your visa or your green card. So at a macro, in the long run, um, it'll be unclear to see how these forces balance themselves out. Uh, but I do know that they're, you know, in, in conversations with other earlier stage startups, I don't think there's a single one who's not actively considering where they can hire, you know, in a more global context. Yeah, I've certainly heard that it's more U.S. based, though, uh, from what I've picked up on companies that are trying to find talent, but looking maybe in Florida or Texas or Illinois or what have you versus going to, you know, another, you know, another country uh, from what I've from what I've heard. So. We shall see. And Zhao, I wanted to just hop back in on the on the labor shortage. I've just been super interested in that as a topic. When you think about that, 
where does immigration play? Is this is this just going to be a short term challenge we're facing, or do you think this is a longer term issue and that immigration is going to have to play a role? I guess immigration or automation. We can just go to the robots, or you know, we can figure out another. Uh, the birth rate's not going up. Birth rate's a, gone down. Birth rate's gone down. So that's you got the birth rate going down. You've got automation coming in, uh, and you've got this basically impasse and immigration and it's it's a weird <laughs> concoction of things going on right now that makes it pretty hard to figure out what's going to happen with labor i mean i think that there needs to be uh immigration change in order to support our economic needs and and this is like where i think the change is actually most likely the more that like business is saying that, hey, we can't do the things that we need to do. And the business are the ones who are then contributing to various politicians. It actually starts changing the, the, the mindset, right? The reason why E-Verify, like, for example, it hasn't been implemented really in any, in the States is because like, really, like, this is a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, yeah, we care about making sure our, our, our like, our, our uh, you know, employees are, uh, are legally able to work, but I need employees. And so if you're not going to change the immigration policy to allow more people to be able to legally work, then we're just going to let this like just this go. Right? So like a big part of this build back better bill that, um, you know, is could change this conversation entirely is the fact that, yeah, that they're offering uh, what's known as parole to potentially 7 million undocumented immigrants. And so these are 7 million folks like, who are uh, uh, not technically legally eligible to work or in the country. And are some of them, I assume, have applied for green cards but are in the process of getting it? They've applied to asylum. They've applied for different visas. They're waiting or they like are... Um, there's the, there's the DACA group, which is pretty well known or like brought over when they're younger. There's also the like documented dreamers group now that are about the age of, so like, uh, when you come in, let's say you're at H1B, you can bring your kid over and they are legally eligible to be here until they're 21. But what happened is that the, the screen card backlogs are taking so long, like de again, decades that, um, they're now aging out. And so now you have people who came here legally with their parents, like, you know, went to middle school, went to high school, went to college, like in the U.S. Uh, but the moment they turn 21, they are no longer legally able to study or work in the country. Because they were never granted a green card because it was backlogged? Because they're waiting. They're, they're waiting on their parents' green card application to go through. But once you're over 21, you can't, you, you're no longer part of your parents' visa. So your, your, your parents can still be on an H-1B. And rotating, but they can't have a you, what's called you're on an H4. You can't be on an H4 after you're 21. Just to bring this all full circle, where does this leave you as a company? And can you give us a little bit of an update? We've reported on the acquisition that you made of a peer company in your industry. We've reported on some of Boundless's fund, fundraising. I think you last raised $25 million uh, back in April. Um, and so where does this leave you? And, and can you give us an update on the state of your business? Yeah, I mean, I, I, we are really excited for and optimistic for the future. I mean, I think that 
you know, we've spent the last you know two years. Really? This, I, <laughs> sorry. I mean, like, so I first just, of all, I did not expect you to say that has, based on everything you just a, said. Go ahead, show. <laughs> like, I do think that this is, has to be one of my job description titles, right? Like, as a CEO, you have to be irrationally optimistic, or else, like, what? You would never start a company. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, joking aside, like, there, there's. Um, you know, immigration like application rates are as high as they were now, like pre-pandemic, in, in a lot of categories. Um, we are, you know, increasingly becoming the like first brand in an industry that's never had one. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity ahead of us around like consolidating and and creating a place where we can service you from for 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 and help you live your best life for like ten years. And like we, we started with marriage green cards as a first product, then we added naturalization. Now we have fiance visa, and then we have like removal conditions, we have like parents and children, we have travel, you know, we're you know looking at the P2B space. And and so the eventual idea is that you know we can really help you, again, anyone who you know either wishes to be reunified with their loved ones or start their life here, like figure out the best way for you to do so. And I think it's been the case through every downturn, through every recession, through every really challenging period is when the like lasting and, and great companies of the next era are born. And, and yes, I, I will readily admit these last four years, not been the easiest. But where I get excited as I look forward is that there is just that, that there's such a need still for uh, for families to get the help that, they, that they're looking for. Um, and we are have never been in a better position to actually offer the full suite of services that that they may need to live their best life. And the alternative seems as if it would be somebody doing it on their own and navigating this very convoluted and complex process, or I assume hiring a immigration lawyer to help navigate for them. Are those kind of the is that the yeah, competitive at, landscape? At, at, at like three to five x the cost and and just as much pain. Um, what what is what is challenging about this business? I'm sure you've seen other proxies. Is that uh, it, it's about a lot about avoided pain. Our our the customers who love us the best are ones who tried doing it on their own and have like suffered and cried for weeks and then found us and it's like wait we we got our life back right. I love like hearing their stories of like hey well you know we can finally actually watch TV together after dinner instead of like crying over immigration paperwork or people who have spent thousands of dollars on an attorney and not gotten what they what they need. Um, and, and but for people who haven't gone through the pain, they're like, wait, like, uh, you know, it, 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 they don't actually appreciate sometimes like all of the work that goes into making sure a, a you know, 400 page application is, is done the way that the government wants it. So, so those are the alternatives. But we're, you know, what, what's nice is that like, I can unironically say, and, and Sam and I, like anyone who uses Boundless is better off than someone who hasn't. And so it's really about changing an entire generation and an entire you know, industry's mindset that you don't need to go down one of these two you know, terrifying and or tragic options. And there is a better way. I know I'm giving you a hard time, but it is only an entrepreneur, and it really is truly the test of an entrepreneur who could talk for 40 minutes about the seemingly intractable challenges facing their industry and then 
have a, a beaming smile on his face and say, yes, this is amazing. Bring <laughs> it truly, on. I mean, you, Bring it. That's the whole idea, right? Yeah. You find a massive problem and the size of the problem is also the size of the opportunity. Before we wrap up, I'm curious. I know you're also involved in this Pledge 1% program. Could you explain a little bit more about what that's about and why you're involved with it? Yeah, I think we all have seen like the the challenges of you know increased income inequality and you know investment in the local community and, and struggles with like what these great companies are able to achieve with you know, all the folks that may be left behind or, or aren't serviced by traditional forms of capitalism. And so, what I love about this program is just it's any any company at any stage can sign up for it. But you're basically pledging 1%, and you can define what that 1% is, whether it's sales, whether it's profits, whether it's equity, to philanthropic causes um, down the road. And so what it means in practice is that for an early stage company like us, everyone gets diluted, the investors, the employees, everyone gets diluted 1%. And, and it doesn't hurt that much right now. But then when you actually become successful, you already have a ready-made, say, 100 plus million dollar foundation, which would be much more challenging to establish at that point. And so it's basically, and, and something that I would actually encourage all you know, entrepreneurs and all early stage companies to do, because it's, it's relatively painless now, and it has the chance of having such a big impact you know, down the road. You know, imagine if Amazon set aside 1% for philanthropic efforts, right? and like the amount of good that that would do. So that, that's where yeah, I think that there's a chance for capitalism to work to the advantage of you know, helping helping those who are less fortunate. Folks can find out more about that at pledge1percent.org. And it's pledge, the number one, and the word percent.org. And there's other Seattle companies like Remitly. Um, and I think you said Skilljar is also involved in this. Yeah. Xiao Wang, the CEO at Boundless, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. We will link from the show notes on this episode to the Boundless website and also to some blog posts and other materials that provide more information on the topics that we discussed. Thanks for listening, everybody. Our podcast is produced by Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to geekwire.com. And please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the GeekWire podcast wherever you listen. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We'll be back next week with a new episode of the GeekWire podcast.